Hello, everyone, and welcome in to the Youth Hoops Pod presented by Pro Skills Basketball. Today, we have special guest joining the podcast, Brendan McKillop, who works for the NBA Academies, as we discuss all things NBA Academies, what exactly they are, what exactly they do, and how they do it all across the world. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Let's jump right in. Brendan, welcome to the Youth Hoops Pod. Happy to have you. You and I go uh, pretty far back, but you now work for the NBA and uh, do a bunch with their NBA Academy. So we wanted to talk about that topic today. So thanks for being here, man. Thanks for having me. Let's kick this off. What are the NBA Academies? What exactly do you do? Where are they at? Why are they around? Yeah, just kind of give us the, the cliff notes, the high level uh, spiel about them. Yeah, so uh, the NBA Academies are a network of elite development programs that we have around the world. I think the easiest way to, I guess, relate to them is essentially their, their prep schools that we have around the world um, focused more on growing the game internationally. So we have our NBA Global Academy based in Australia, NBA Academy Latin America based in uh, San Luis Potosi, Mexico. NBA Academy Africa, uh, just south of Dakar, Senegal, um, NBA Academy India, uh, a little east of Delhi, India, and a, a place called Greater Noida, India, and then two in China. Um, and, and really the, the focus is identifying talent and potential at a young age and, and helping these players develop and presenting them the opportunities to go on whichever path they choose, whether that's the college route, whether that's the pro route, whether it's um, exceeding through academics. Um, so really just finding these players who, who need an opportunity and, and helping them reach their potential and go down whichever path they choose. Awesome. Um, so like I said, you and you and I go way back to uh, to our Davidson days. Um, your father is Coach McKillop, who I played for, and then I played with your older brother, and then you, you followed in our footsteps and, and, and played but after you got done playing how did you end up where you're at today with um i don't know do you do you, do you say that you work for mba academy or how, how do you what's your title i guess and then what's your role within it yeah so so currently i'm the director of international basketball operations um for for the nba for the league office um you know following my playing career uh, I worked for a kind of in sales for a consulting firm for about a year and a half and, and I couldn't stand it. Um, just gen really just genuinely did not care about my job at all and knew I needed to find something that I was more passionate about. So actually quit with no job prospects. I was going to work basketball camps um, one summer. I'm pretty sure I worked PSB camps that summer. Um, and Really luckily, uh, a job opening came up for a new program at the NBA in their referee operations department. They were launching a new program to evaluate referees. Um, so interviewed for that, actually the, the person who was hiring for that program was Brandon Williams, another former Davidson basketball player. Um, and, and now he's, he's doing overtime elite now, right? Yep, he is there. EVP or SVP of basketball operations with, with overtime elite, but um, joined that program with seven or eight other uh, young professionals. Actually, on our first day on the job, Brandon told us he was taking a job, I believe at the time with the, the Sixers. So 
Um, didn't get to work with him for too long, but was in that program for three, three and a half years and constantly had my eyes on international basketball operations. I love, love the travel. I love the global game growing up, growing up around Davidson basketball, um, you know, just always having international players on the rosters, um, which is something that was particularly interesting to me. So um, again, just kind of pestered that department, um, offered to volunteer whenever I could. And when an opening came up, jumped on it and I moved over there um, January, 2017. Um, so since then, the NBA academies were launching the end of 2016. So I joined right really as that program was launching, but a, a number of other programs going on in, in international basketball operations. I also oversee our Basketball Without Borders program. Um, so in, in terms of my role, I'd say about 50% focused on Basketball Without Borders and about 50% focused on the NBA academies. I like that. You know, Brendan, in the NBA academies, what exact age group are you guys like looking for when you're out recruiting players? It's really high school age. So um, we start to identify players around 14. Um, I'd say it's pretty rare that we, we invite a 14 year old and offer a scholarship to an NBA Academy at that age. But yeah, um, we've really built out a, a very good scouting network, um, developing contacts around different regions around the world. And so you can kind of keep tabs on kids starting 14, 15. And then once they start reaching 15, 16, that's the prime age to join an NBA Academy. Yep, and you said it started at the end of 2016, the academies? Yes, yeah, so um, it, it's been a progressive uh, growth model. We, we launched in Australia to start and have added um, in Africa and LATAM in China and in India. Um, so it's, you know, we, we, when we first started, we kind of said we were a plane flying while we're building our wings and it was definitely a learning process. Um, we're, we're fortunate that we had a lot of great partners along the way um, and, and who could help with facilitating what we were trying to do. Um, but, but we're still learning every day. We're still refining our processes, especially with COVID um, and, and shutting down travel and, and a lot of our events and things like that. It's been an opportunity for us to step back and take a big picture look at everything we do and refine some of our processes. So I'm still getting better every single day at what we do. Yeah. So I guess that means four, five years, whatever the exact math in there you've been around. Have you had any players who have really come through the system, like any notable names that our audience would maybe know that went on to play high-level basketball or, or anything further? I'd say the most notable name. So we had our first NBA Academy graduate drafted this year. Josh Giddy went number six overall to the OKC Thunder. Nice. Um, Josh was, I saw him for the first time in 2018 at Basketball Without Borders Asia in India. Um, he was an OK player. He was 6'3" lanky could really pass the ball but that was about all he had to his game and he just got better and better and better um how, how old was he when you saw him like eighth grade or something or young pretty young he's 19 now so i guess he was 16 then 16, 16 okay 17 um he played in the mbl this past year as part of their next stars program and won mbl rookie of the year um i think he's one of the most elite passers i've seen in recent years and, um, you know, really have high hopes for him on his NBA career. Um, in the college landscape, uh, pretty famous, I don't know about famous, but a notable name, uh, Jonathan Chamochachua, a big off the bench at Baylor, um, mm -hmm. won a championship this year, Yep. but he was their, their energy guy, um, rebounded. Oh, he, um, he was that big, huge, strong. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember seeing him and talking talking to my wife about how big he was. Yeah, the, the kid's a monster, and, and I've heard you know things about this offseason that he's made great strides. And um, looking at 
the 2022 NBA draft, if you look at Jonathan Gavoni's top 100 list, we have, I want to say, seven NBA Academy alumni on that list. So um, awesome. you know, whether or not all will get drafted next year, the year after, um, we're really starting to see now that we're five, six years in kind of the fruits of our labor. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, uh, man, that that's really cool. So um, with with these guys, so so you said you don't start till like ninth grade-ish or, you know, 15, 16 years old, I guess. And then did I also hear that they're all scholarship, like it's free for them to go there? So, so it's a two-part question. How do you scout them? How do you find them? And then is it all like, how does the model work? It's, it's all just fully funded. They don't have to pay anything. And then like when they go there, like what is it like? I mean, you mentioned a prep school, so maybe maybe describe that in more detail. Yeah, so in terms of identifying talent, um, you know, we, we have our, our director of talent identification at the NBA, um, who is really responsible for building out our rosters for both basketball headquarters and the NBA academies. And over the past five years, he's developed a network around the world. Um, so right, right now, in particular, we're really focusing on building out a network in Africa, just because it's such a monster continent, so much ground to cover and so much untapped potential. So it's finding reliable people in ground who can, you know, run small camps and, and identify talent and provide feedback and provide film. Um, and so we've developed networks really all over the world um, to help tip us off of players who have potential, who um, show that drive and, and the desire to be great. Um, so th those are the things that our network really looks for. I think there's a lot of people though that don't know what basketball without borders is. So could you explain that and, and how it relates to the academies? Yeah, so this is actually, and, and it's sad because we are not able to actually host a camp in 2021, but this is the 20th anniversary of Basketball Without Borders. Um, it was initially launched and it's a pretty interesting story in 2001. And it was during the Yugoslav wars where there were five or six warring states. And um, I wanna say Tony Kukoc, and Vlade Divac um, were involved and spoke with the, the head of our department, Kim Bahuni, who founded the program. And um, the goal was really to bring these states, um, republics that were at war together and use basketball to bring them together. So they brought in, brought in 50 kids um, from all the different countries. Didn't matter what country you were from, roomed with different players, played on different teams. And um, the, the goal was to just show that basketball can bring people together no matter what. So it's really taken off since then. Um, there is a social responsibility to the component or to the camp, um, component to the camp. Whenever we're in a different market, um, you know, we, we do try to do some good and leave some lasting impact on the community. It's also become an elite basketball camp. So every summer we'll have one in Africa, one in Asia, one in Europe, and one in the Americas outside of the US and invite the top 40 boys and 24 girls from each region. Um, it's age-based, so 17 and under. And then over All-Star Weekend, this, uh, every year we'll host Basketball Without Borders Global, which is really the, the culmination of those four camps where we bring in all the top players. So it's become um, a really highly scouted event for NBA teams. This past draft, we actually set a record 10 Basketball Without Borders alumni were drafted. So one out of every six players drafted came from that camp. And it's just really helped to grow the game. Um, the I think a really cool part about it now is former campers who went on to play in the NBA are now returning as coaches. So recently we've had Jamal Murray at Basketball Without Borders America in Colombia. We had Rui Hachimura drop by when we had Basketball Without Borders Asia in Tokyo and, and the list goes on. So 
um, a really cool opportunity for NBA players and WNBA players and coaches to give back. And, you know, they'll travel to the different markets with us and, and volunteer their time to coach these kids. So um, I think that that's probably the easiest way to summarize that program. But with the academies, it's, you know, the two programs are really tied together because Basketball Without Borders is a great way for us to identify talent. And we can see kids who we normally wouldn't know about um, through Basketball Without Borders and then invite them to the NBA academies. Yeah, I, my interest now is is looking at the academies in comparison. You just talked about basketball without borders, bringing in Jamal Murray and, and Roy um, Hajimara and having the connection to those players. Let's say, you know, I'm a young, uh, you know, talent. You, I get recruited by an NBA academy uh, overseas. What access do those players get to NBA, other, other NBA players, other NBA coaches? Like what are some of the cool things that players in the academy get access to being affiliated with the NBA? Yeah, and I think I can answer Brendan's question from earlier with that too, um, kind of to lead into that. But what each academy is different, but essentially what it consists from or consists of is it's a boarding school. So we have dorms, we have uh, obviously great basketball facilities, weight room. Um, we have, depending on the region, we're, we partner with local public schools, local private schools, combination with online learning and in-person tutoring and things like that but it's a holistic approach to development. So we're not just focused on the basketball. We want, like I mentioned before, kids to have the opportunity to go on any pathway they choose. So we put a major focus on academics. <clears throat> um, we have performance lifestyle curriculum to focus on mental health and financial literacy and, and different things like that. So we're, we're trying to help these kids get prepared for whatever that next step they take. take. Um, and then to answer your question, I think from, you know, the, the relation to the NBA and what we can provide differently is all, all of the coaches that we have at each of the academies are all hand NBA selected, trained through NBA programs. Um, you know, some former college coaches, some former NBA coaches, all at different levels. And then um, we provide access to NBA players. We're working on mentorship programs where um, certain players from academies can get mentored by players from the same country or from the same region that have made it to the highest level and can share some of their experiences and, and their advice on how to get to the highest level. Um, I think another big thing that we offer differently from any other programs is the events that we're able to put on. Um, we've developed a great relationship with the NCAA. And so every Final Four, we have Next Generation Showcase where uh, at FanFest at the Final Four, both on the men's and women's side, um, our NBA academies will play at FanFest. And it's the only event that can be recruited at that time. Um, NBA academies go to the G League showcase every year. So they'll play at a high school tournament so they can get recruited for college. And then they'll play in front of NBA scouts from all 30 teams who are in Las Vegas for the G League showcase. Nice. Um, we host our own uh, live NCAA certified event over the summer as well. And then, um, you know, we provide partnerships with local leagues. So, you know, competition is obviously a huge part of development. And depending on the region, there's opportunities to play local teams and local leagues and tournaments, but we also bring the academies to the US to compete in some of the top high school tournaments. Um, our NBA Global Academy played in Hospitalet in Barcelona and won that tournament two years ago. So the arguably the best youth international tournament on the planet and the NBA Global Academy won that one in 2019. Nice. So um, we just feel that because of you know our brand and, and the relationships that we have and the partnerships that we have, we can offer unprecedented access to, to development and to competition and access to coaches and NBA players and things like that. 
So you have um, academies in Australia, China, India, Senegal, Mexico. Uh, but the one in Australia is called the Global Academy. Why Why is that? And, and is there a difference between that one and, and the rest of them? Not necessarily. Um, you know, the Basketball Australia Center of Excellence um, has been established in, in Canberra, Australia for a number of years. And they've been incredibly successful. They've turned out players like Patty Mills, Matthew Delavadova, Andrew Bogut, um, and have just so, shown an incredibly successful pathway of success for developing players. So we partnered with them. We felt it was between the success they've shown, the facilities that they have, their access to local leagues. They, you know, our teams play in NBL leagues against um, grown men and who know how to play the game. So it's a great opportunity for these young kids who are still developing to play at the highest levels and also play at lower levels. Um, but just felt that it offered everything we really needed in a program to develop players. Um, five spots are reserved for Australians at the NBA Global Academy, and then the remaining spots are really for anyone around the world. And it, I'd say it's more of a, a tool for other academies than um, necessarily the, the peak academy. Um, for some players, it may make sense to leave NBA Academy Latin America or NBA Academy Africa and go there for whatever their developmental needs are. For some players, it makes more sense to stay where they are. So. Um, and an example of somebody who stayed is Ben Matherin. He'll be a rising, he's a rising sophomore at Arizona, um, was Pac-12 Rookie of the Year, and he's projected as a potential lottery pick this upcoming year. Um, so somebody who, you know, was one of the best players in our program, but decided to stay in, in Mexico and, and at that academy in Latin America because it was best for his development there. Um, so, yeah, I would say it's not, not necessarily the peak, but it's kind of all encompassing because it's not just for one particular region like the other academies are. Yeah, yeah. Brendan, you've, we've talked about all the different locations and time. I know you mentioned trying to cover more of Africa being such a large continent. Are there any other areas of, of land you guys have yet to tap into that you're looking to move into? Is there any uh, plans of, of growing this and adding more location academies or just making the academies you already have better and better? I'd say a combination of, of the two. Um, you know, Africa is such a big, big continent that I think there's a lot of opportunity there to continue to grow. And um, the, there's so much untapped potential that the just amount of space we have currently in Senegal is probably not enough space to reach the amount of kids that we want to reach there. So I think there's a lot of opportunity to grow in Africa. There's also a lot of really successful academies that exist around the world that we're aware of where it, it may not make sense for us to go in and create our own academies, but to partner with and lend resources to some existing academies to help raise their level um, and, and just to help them develop kids in their region. Is that why maybe Europe doesn't have their own academy? Maybe just because the European club system has, you know, Barcelona has their own academy or, you know, Cheska, Moscow or something like that. Is that part of the reason or, or are you guys uh, eventually going to get into Europe? I think Europe, they've already been so successful at developing players. It's a very saturated market. Um, and it's, they have the infrastructure to do it. You know, in, in Africa, there's very limited basketball infrastructure from a sense of available leagues to play in, um, from different organizations who function the way that, that we can function. So um, Europe is really ahead of the curve there. And that shows with the number of players that they have um, in the NBA every year. Um, so I don't see us going in there anytime soon with an academy. I think really the focus is, is Africa growth, um, continuing to improve the existing academies and then finding 
other existing academies outside of the MBA, um, MBA Academy program that we can partner with and, and help them develop. Yeah, Brendan, first of all, this is very cool. All of this is very cool. This is all fairly new information to me. I'm learning a lot as well. Um, so it, it's awesome just to hear how far you're reaching with the game of basketball. And I mean, international basketball has always been a thing in the NBA. Uh, mm -hmm. But I would say hot take here over the last five years, these international players have been really taking the league over with Luca and Giannis. I think you're seeing uh, basketball culture expand and players get better. Quick, like fun question for you and all your travels and all these locations. What's one of the best basketball cultures outside of the States that you've seen where they just love basketball and they're passionate about it and, and the players love playing it? Um, man, we had a basketball that borders in Serbia and Serbia is just a basketball country. And it's, I mean, it shows in the number of players that they've had make the league. But I mean, we had the number of coaches who came back to the camp, the number of former Serbian players that came back to the camp um names that you wouldn't really think about but once you saw their face you're like wow i haven't seen him in 15 years um, yeah yeah that that was one that really jumped out to me as just like a basketball haven um i think you know we were in tokyo in 2019 it was our last international camp before covid hit um and i think that's one that can really take off yeah um, you know they have two nba players now between rui hachimura and yuta watanabe um, there are a lot of really good young players that are developing. And so I think that's a country that loves basketball, um, may not know it yet, but I, I think it will continue to grow and get there. They've got a really great professional league there. Um, they had two separate ones that have merged and it's become a lot more successful since, since they merged. So I think, I think Japan can, can really take off. And what I think about it's, it's all tied back to success of players from those countries. So like I mentioned, you know, two players from Japan in the league now. Um, my, my Davidson bias, I got a shout out my guy, Young Jung Lee, um, arguably the face of Korean basketball right now. And he's on mock draft boards for 2022. And I'm sure we'll continue to get better. And if somebody like him makes it to the highest level, um, the country of Korea will be there to rally behind him. And I, he's already making waves in the country. People follow Davidson basketball from Korea. Um, so I think just seeing seeing people from your country at that level really increases fan bases. And I'm sure so, that's always good for y'all. Always, always good for the NBA Academy as the game grows and each of these countries get more invested. Right. Yeah. yeah the more success stories we can point to the better for the program. Yep. And on like a, a related note, uh, India. So the basketball Academy there, I, I feel like is somewhat overlooked probably because India I, I think has yet to produce an NBA player. I mean, they, they had the, the really tall guy a couple of years back. I know there's a documentary on, I think he went to IMG and he was like maybe the closest, but um, I know it's super important for the NBA uh, <clears throat> to get an Indian born NBA player because of the amount of people in that country. And then, you know, translates to eyeballs on TV and all that sort of stuff. So can you talk about the India Academy a little bit and, and just the, the, the culture there and, and, um, and maybe as it relates to, to finding an NBA player there, or developing an NBA player one day there? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a challenge, um, I would say, compared to the other regions, just in terms of the life of basketball in the country, it's, it's behind just because basketball wasn't as popular a sport in India until, until really recently. Um, Sadam Singh, like you mentioned, was drafted. I want to say 2015 
maybe 2016 um, in the mid second round, but, but never played a game. Um, and, and we actually had an MBA Academy India graduate. He was at the MBA Academy India, uh, transitioned to the MBA Global Academy. And then he played on the G League Ignite this past year, played for the Sacramento Kings Summer League, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And it, he's figuring out next steps now. But um, I think he's a great example of the, the potential that's there and that, you know, if we continue to invest in the development of these players, um, one of them will find their way through or many of them will find their way through. Um, it's still a very, very young sport for, for the country. There, there is a lot of potential um, in just terms of the size and the athleticism. And it's, it's really just creating access and the opportunity to reach that access for, for the players and for the country. It's a huge country. Um, when we first started the academy there, I know through a number of camps, we scattered over 5,000 players and landed on 24 of them to, to launch the NBA Academy India. Um, so it'll be a process, I think, We've seen some success stories through Principal Singh, who, who was the player I just mentioned. Um, there are three players currently at prep schools in the US who graduated from the academy who um, are being recruited to play at the division one level right now. So I think we'll start to see a number of players at the division one level. And, and my personal philosophy is the more people that play division one basketball, the more likely one of them will, will reach the highest level. Yeah. Um. U.S. I, I, I've my understanding is that there at least there was I don't know if there still is there there was some interest in developing academies in the U.S. But it's obviously a totally different model because we you know our model in the U.S. is school system and then you play for your school then you go to college and then you know if you're good enough you go on and play in the NBA and then there's kind of the the club team is separate than that whereas in Europe it's it's all club team you don't play for your high school. Um, so like the model that you guys have in these other countries might not work here in the U S or, or maybe it would like, I, I don't know if there's what the most recent kind of update on that is, or, or what the thinking is, uh, around, uh, potentially having academies in the U S. Yeah. Ongoing conversations at all times about it. Um, it is very, very complicated and there are great things about our youth development system and then there are not so great things and um, you want to try to maintain the great things. Um, I think representing your high school or your state is something a lot of people take pride in and want to do. Um, and then you'll see stories on ESPN about handlers or agents who um, put kids in bad positions or maybe force them to make decisions they don't want to make. So um, it's a landscape that we're constantly evaluating. Um, Right, right now does not seem the right time to to get involved, but it's something that we're we're definitely talking about at all times. Yeah, because I, I may, tell you what, from my perspective, these basketball academies are popping up every single week around the <laughs> around the U.S. I mean, look 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 at the football team that uh, what faked out ESPN the other day. It's like <laughs> yeah. that on the basketball side. They're they're everywhere. Uh, so right. so I actually feel like the model could work, where it's like it's an NBA academy, like prep school sort of deal. Because I mean, it's happening anyway, but. Obviously, uh, you know, there's probably politics involved and, and, and some other stuff. Um, yeah, it, it's complicated. And, and like you said, there's academies that will launch around one. They'll have one talented player and they'll, they'll start their own school. And once that player graduates, the school shuts down and all the other players in the program have to fend for themselves. We had a, a kid from Angola at a basketball that borders Africa camp who went to a prep school in Arizona and was there for one year and it shut down and he, he got sent home and 
couldn't figure out how to get back to the US. So um, we run into situations like that, just dealing with international kids a lot. And I'm sure um, those stories are limitless around the US. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a very, very complicated system to, to try to get involved in. Um, Christian, if, if you don't have any other questions, I have one more and it's unrelated to the academies. You mentioned it, how you were in, I don't know what's called referee operations or w whatever it was. I think a lot of people don't know that and they might, they might kind of find this interesting if, if they make it this far through the podcast, but, uh, the amount of just attention and oversight on the referees in the NBA and, and, you know, I think you used to work in right that big building in New Jersey that has just TVs everywhere. And like, can you talk about that real quick? Like the amount of tension and oversight that the, the NBA referees uh, have on them? Yeah. Um, every single decision they make, and I don't just mean a decision to call a travel, like the, the, the amount of decisions that a referee has to make throughout a game are in the thousands and it's, most of the time is to not blow the whistle. But, you know, we have the luxury of hindsight. We have the luxury of slow motion, um, even slower than slow motion and, and instant replays and things like that. Um, so I would say my three years in that department just gave me a different perspective on how to look, look at referees and how difficult that job is. I can tell you that M NBA referees are the best in the world by far. Um, knowing the development and the effort to develop referees and help them get better that the NBA does is, I, I don't think people are aware of at all, um, but it is, they're constantly being schooled, constantly being trained, meetings the day before games, the morning of games, evaluating film after games, the effort that they put in on a daily basis to be the best that they can be is really astonishing. So I think, you know, if you're a fan, it's easy to sit back and and yell at the refs and I'm as guilty of it as anyone. If I go to a Davidson game, I lose my mind. <laughs> I can say NBA referees are the best at what they do and the effort that they put in to be the best that they can be is, is next level. Um, would love to see college referees and a better system in place for them to be evaluated and them to be held accountable. Um, and I know there's a challenge because there's not like really a central system doing it. I think it's more run by conferences rather than the NCAA. But again, I can't emphasize more the, the amount of effort and time that the NBA puts into developing these refs. Um, you know, they make one mistake out of 3,000, 4,000 decisions in a game. And all we do is focus on that one mistake. It's like if a long snapper had 4,000 snaps in one game and we only focus on the one that was botched. Um, so it's, it's a tough job, but um, they're, they're very, very good at it. Yeah. Every time I watch an NBA game, like, the the one thing I'm blown away by is how good the refs are and like how, how much you don't notice them in the NBA game as compared to college. And then especially at, as compared to, uh, to high school and stuff, and you could say the same thing about the players and all that, but man, the referees are good. And I, I don't think many people know about the, just the scrutiny that they are under by the league and, and, and how everything is reviewed. So uh, appreciate giving you, you giving us a little more insight there. That might have to be a, a another episode, Christian. We'll have to talk about NBA referees. Let's but, do uh, it. Let's do it. Yeah, but Brendan, thank you for uh, for joining us, man. That that was. I think a lot of people are gonna have their eyes open to what NBA academies are and just, I guess, in, in, NBA international and 
and, and all that and how it all works together. So I appreciate you coming on and, um, yeah, I, th I think that's it for us unless Christian has anything else. No, Brendan, I appreciate you. It was awesome, man. It was, it was interesting to learn. We'll be looking out for the next batch of uh, big-time players to come through the academy and the next uh, European MVP or overseas MVP. They've been taking them all recently, so I'm sure we got more coming. Yeah, it's Luca's time, I think. Luca, You can't – he's not a graduate, is he? You can't take credit no. for that one. That would no, be nice, though, right? He was right? a pro. At, they they yeah. got him at 13, 14 years old. If only you had snagged him, you'd have the ultimate success story. Yeah, yeah. All right, Brendan. Well, we appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please follow us on all of our social media platforms at ProSkillsBasketball on Instagram and Facebook and at ProSkillsBball on Twitter. We'll talk to you soon on the next conversation.